Uh, welcome to Important Not Important. <laughs> All right. Uh, my name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. And we got Teddy the Wonder Dog here. Uh, Teddy, say your name. I wish. Uh, this is episode 22. And uh, today's question is uh, a little more, what is the word the kids use? Wonky? Yeah, um, kids use wonky. How does your phone call to a congressman eventually become a law? Our guest today is Andreas Jimenez, uh, Senior Director of Government Affairs at the Citizens Climate Lobby. Um, he worked with uh, Mr. Bloomberg when he was mayor of New York for like 40 years. I think I, yeah. Yeah, for, for all the time. <laughs> he handled government relations for the Ocean Conservancy. Love those guys. Uh, and he's also a leading member of Green Latinos, a relatively new group. Oh, boy, they're going to have a hell of a lot of sway in the coming decade. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People have, people have taken a lot of uh, action. Most, most for the uh-huh. very first time in the last white year. people, white people. That's right. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, and we we wanted to dial it back a bit and uh, pull back the curtain on how mm-hmm. exactly your personal action mm-hmm. gets translated into legislation mm-hmm. and and influence the elected officials in Washington. So you're not going like I really have many times. <laughs> Did anybody listen to my voicemail? <laughs> like who's I I I called. I said a thing. Right. I said okay, thank you. Is, does that mean? Anything? Does any? Did someone just hit delete all? Right. Let me. Can I tell you? <laughs> My wife, I love her more, so much, more than anything. You She's know, wonderful. The greatest human that's ever walked the planet. So a few years ago, I, and to be clear, said I fucking hate email so, so much. Yeah, you've always been anti-email since I've known it's you. Just, it's just too much, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's too much. Uh, too many people think they have permission to your inbox, right? So, right. but it is actually an effective way to communicate with my wife or so, <laughs> so I thought. Okay. So you can go on the, on a on a Mac and in the mail thing, you can make like a smart email inbox, oh, yeah, right, right. right? For all these things, uh, all these different rules you can use when it came in, who it, who it came from, date it came. It's very helpful. Does it include this data attachment? Whatever. So I made her a smart inbox that was literally just emails from me. Right. Okay. Just catch them because she was always like, I get so much, I, I couldn't find you. The guy, it's lost. Sure. It? I'm going to make you a box that literally just grabs the things this from me. This one says Quinn. Can't miss it. These are from me. <laughs> miss me? Click on it. Yeah. Think, I mean, it's right there. It'll show a little number that shows you if you have a new one. Yeah. yeah. Right? Inbox, Quinn, and then a badge, right? Hey, you have a new email from me. Right. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Should you do that, mm-hmm. don't then a year later glance to see oh, no. how that's working. Because you might see what I saw. It's like childbirth. There's things you can't unsee. Right. Which was like 1,200 unread emails no. from me. <laughs> In my email. So not 1,200 e- unread emails, which you'd be like, I don't know. You probably miss oh something. Probably a lot of newsletters. But, sure. Uh, and, and like bills. But you probably miss something in there. No, 1,200 unread emails just from me. Yeah. So like, what's in there? Holy cow. What's it? I only send like the most important. I mean, I send her some articles. I'm a little annoying about it. Yeah. yeah. But what else is in there? Did you, you know? guys go through it? No, I was just, I stunned. I like backed <laughs> away from the computer, terrified. Because I was, I mean, school, k- kid schedules, anything. Right. Probably some important information. Plane tickets. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. <sighs> Things you find out, Brian. Um, so, uh, listen, um, <laughs> one, one of my favorite websites, 538, putting empirical data to a whole fun bunch of topics from Mr. Nate Silver has been owned by ESPN the past few years, moved over to ABC, be a little more political, lose the sports uh, side of it. Um, One of their uh, main culture contributors, a guy named Walt Hickey, went to William & Mary. What, what? Uh, (laughs) He is moving on and started his own. He used to run uh, their little newsletter 
which was like an inside the the numbers inside the news type of thing you get every morning. It's oh, okay. like five numbers inside the news. Oh, yeah. Right, they're right, compelling. Right. So he's doing his own. He moved on. It's going at Numlock News. So this one, you can subscribe. Numlock News. Super. It's just interesting. Here's one. So oysters are like this as well. I'm going to just quote this. Mussels are filter feeders and are a great way for scientists to measure contamination levels in bodies of water. Scientists scattered groups of mussels to 18 test locations around uh, Puget Sound off the coast of Seattle. In three of those test locations, uh, the mussels tested positive for trace amounts of oxycodone Uh, because wastewater management systems simply cannot filter out all of the drugs, end quote. That's unreal. Uh Uh-huh. So that's not great. Holy cow. Right. That's how bad the, uh, the, the drug situations got, right? So take that and add it with the study that came out a couple months ago that said we, we know about all the plastic in the ocean, right? It's fucking terrible. It's like the size, it's the size of Texas. It's or whatever, insanely bad. Right? Uh, Ayanna Johnson was just like, you have no idea, uh, right? But they really had that don't. study that sounded that they found all the plastic microbeads that were in, like oh, six yeah. years ago. And it was like, oh, there's water. microbeads in your shampoo. Turns out. They're also in your fucking bottles of water. So, like 90% of the bottles they tested. And there was a quote, I'll find it, uh, and put it in the show notes, a scientist who essentially said, we have no idea what they do to the body. Right. Which usually the answer 10 years later isn't like, turns out everything's fine. <laughs> right. That's not the way it goes. I hate when scientists don't know things yet. It's very scary. It doesn't. Especially about something that I'm doing to myself several times a day. Yeah. Bottled water, drinking bottled water. Are you yeah. kidding? These days doesn't add up. Uh, um, also, Brian, don't fucking drink bottled water, man. Well, I usually actually just refill my one or two water bottles with filtered water from my refrigerator. What? That's bad? So we sell a reusable bottle on our store. I do have that. Um, they're great. Hot beverages, cold beverages. Really lovely. Check them out and don't use bottled water. I, ha- I, ha- I have one. I, will- I use it. I'm just saying I already had the bottled water. Somebody gave it to me as a gift. I didn't purchase it. All I'm saying is all these choices of convenience we've made over the past few years. Don't fucking, I know. They're just starting to add up. Uh, well, what's the quote from Top Gun? Um, uh, paraphrasing. We're writing checks our bodies can't cash. Yeah. 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 All right, Did you Rick. hear they start shooting Top Gun 2? No. Are you serious? Yeah. Wait, do you love it? Like I, Do you love with Top Gun the, like the, I love it? Is everybody in it? I mean, I don't so think good. I love it like you. Love like, it, I mean, clearly not movie. fucking. It. I don't think Goose is in it. Oh right, wouldn't it be cool if he came back like a Jedi ghost? Yes, they I mean, can do that. Different tone, different movie, but it started shooting. Yeah, they're making. Up. What do you think? It, what do you? What do you think it's about? I don't know. I don't know what happened at the end of it. I forgot. Anyways, um, our kids are just going to be. <laughs> I think about this all the time. Our kids are just going to be super annoyed with us. Uh, you know, they're growing up. You know, I, I think at some point they're just going to realize like how, how bad. Uh, to be clear, our grandparents and our parents, but also right. us. We've talked about this, have fucked this place up. And um, it's Ugh. in some ways it's turning around. But, you know, if we don't want to look terrible in their eyes, um, I mean, more so than we will, we've got some work to do. We better start doing something. So... So it'll be, I don't even have kids yet. So maybe by the time that I you have know kids of. that I know of, that you maybe know of. I'm going to do the ancestry.com. We'll see. Uh, by the time exactly, I have them. exactly how that works. <laughs> right? Yeah. Anyway, we're uh, going to figure it out. My kids will be fine. On that note, take some action. Use something like fivecalls.org uh, to call your representative, yes. your uh, congressperson, your senator, um, or town hall project. Uh, attend a town hall. Find out why your representative isn't having them. 
and then listen to this particular episode and find out what they do with that information. Yeah, because according to him, it's actually pretty impactful and powerful if you for you to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's easy as hell. Yep. Let's, uh, let's go hear from Andreas uh, how they use that stuff to try to go change the world. Let's do it. Okay. Our guest today is Andreas Jimenez. And together we're going to ask, how does your phone call, assuming you've made one at this point, uh, being angry after 2016, <laughs> become law, uh, especially when it comes to uh, fighting for the climate? Uh, Andreas, welcome. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, to be on today. For sure, man. Very happy to have you. Um, all right, so Andreas, uh, let's just start it off with, t- tell everybody who, who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'm Andres Jimenez. I'm the Senior Director of Government Affairs for Citizens Climate Lobby. I came to D.C. In 11 years ago from Chicago, yes. where I went to school at DePaul University. I came to D.C. and immediately started working on the Hill, and I bounced around from California member to California member. So I worked for uh, former Congressman Howard Berman and current member Linda Sanchez and also Zoe Lofgren. I did three years on the immigration subcommittee. I then went to work for Mayor Bloomberg for four years. After that, I went to Ocean Conservancy, where I handled their national fishery management and ocean acidification issues. And then I landed at Citizens Climate Lobby, where I've been, uh, I've been here for over a year. Nice. Awesome, man. Quite a resume. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll take it. It's, again, this it's happens with all of our guests, but it sounds just like Brian's resume. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go into, I was going to go into mine, but now that you've no, gone into yours, we don't have to. It's just the yeah. same thing. <laughs> it's just the same thing. You know, on. one, one nice thing is, you know, I, I, I was able to get that personal office experience as well as the committee experience. So a lot of times staffers either have one or the other, but I was able to see you know, what it was like to be on the front lines working with constituents and also what it was to do just three years of straight policy work. Sure. And and, and I, I'm I'm sorry, maybe I uh, didn't hear that. When you were with uh, Bloomberg, was that in the corporate capacity or is that when he was uh, mayor of New York? No, that's when he was mayor of New York. So nice. I was with him his that's whole extra last term. Oh, and right. were, yeah, I was doing his national immigration and working on his federal uh, housing issues. That's awesome, man. And and boy, that was a interesting period of him just saying, basically, yeah, we're just going to do this thing and I'm going to pay for it, um, which was a really interesting way of doing a business. And and among other things, you know, like the, the bike lanes, uh, yep. they just pushed those through and it was controversial, but his, uh, you know, really helped to change that city in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he did a lot while I was there, you know, whether it was tackling housing or or starting his immigration partnership uh, trying to work on comprehensive immigration reform sure. um also you know he did the soda ban and the cigarettes yep, yep. God, yep. Um, so awesome. and then again like you mentioned the the, the bike share it's both a positive and a, and, a, and a negative that he is you know literally footing the bill to keep us in these uh climate in the climate deal uh, just writing checks, uh, at the, which is great. And obviously people are appreciative, but at the same time, we've got to stop relying on rich old white guys yeah. to do stuff. Um, thankful for it. But at the same time, boy, we gotta, we gotta fix this system, man. <sighs> yeah, absolutely. We can't be dependent on, like you said, just one person to come in and try to write a check because we weren't willing to, to do things the right way. Yeah. I think yeah. That, that might run out uh, yeah. quickly. <laughs> absolutely. All right, so so let's set up our, our conversation for today. Uh, we are big believers in in action oriented questions, 
and you are a man of action, clearly. <laughs> um, and we, you know, we like to think that our listeners are our superheroes of action. So let's work today to empower them uh, to take some specific actions with uh, regards to your, your mission. Um, which, as far as I can tell, is I guess to save the world. Are you trying to save the world? <laughs> aren't, aren't we all one one day at a time? Yeah, no yeah. shit, man. Um, well, I guess on that note, uh, Andreas, we start with one important question to get the get to the heart of of uh, why you're on the telly uh, today. Kids say that, Brian. I think people check. still say telly. Yeah, sure. Roll with that. <laughs> Don't just make me look like such an asshole. Um, look, Andreas. Instead of uh, saying, "Tell us your life story," we like to ask. Why are you vital to the survival of the species? That's a great question. And I think, you know, we all are. We all have to do our part to continue to grow as a society and, and as mankind. And if we don't take positive steps, we're doomed. Um, we have one shot, at least as far as I know, to, to do the best we can while we're here. And so why not make that a, a very positive shot and try to make sure the future generations have that opportunity to also come in and do some good work i love it man i love it all right so what we're going to do is is sort of our our standard mo's we provide a little context for today's topic and and that has evolved to become a sort of a a contextual 101 class with (laughs) a gentleman we like to call professor brian who to be clear is has zero credentials i have have no credentials in any capacity is up for (laughs) no tenure position those are the best kind. Um, yeah, it's, um, you know, the, like the, these are the, it's like a little piece of paper you see on a signpost, like teach guitar lessons with Dave. <laughs> That's like the level of, of expert we're talking here. Dave sounds like um, a nice guy. But that, that's why we've got you here, Andreas, to correct us. Uh, and sometimes these things are super technical, like explaining the history of antibiotics. And sometimes for now, um, it's a little bit like that. You remember that old video that, that was like, it was like the piece of paper. This was like back in our school days. It was like, hey, kids, I'm a bill. And I'm just a bill. School, yeah, I'm just school, ha- schoolhouse, schoolhouse rock. rock. Yeah, schoolhouse rock. Of course. Thank you. Yeah, see, I knew you guys would. Co- <laughs> I should just bow out to I'm that. just a bill. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Brian's going to do his version of that, which is going to be less good, um, but maybe Certainly. a little more updated. Uh, and then we're going to get into exactly how you affect the process. And we're going to pester you with questions so our, our folks can be as efficient, as ruthlessly as efficient as they can as we barrel towards November yes. 6th. Uh, so, Brian. Get to it. Here we go. Uh, Dave, teaching guitar lessons. Yeah. Uh, all right. So here we go. Um, for most of the you know, last century, uh, getting in touch with your congressperson meant either w- waiting until they had a, a local town hall, or you could write a letter, like an actual letter with a pen on paper, which is, I don't remember the last time I held a pen. Uh, but Good sign. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> so, so there was that. And then, so then after a while you could, you could actually call them, which was very exciting. Like you, you could get them on the horn, uh, or, you know, somebody who worked for them. Sure. Um, and then, you know, last year and, and well, ever since really the hellish nightmare that was 2016, um, and advancements in technology, of course. So now there's a huge number of tools and platforms that enable you to like, without seriously any effort, oh, God, let your so existing congressperson know how you feel about stuff. Right. And that's a good point. I mean, uh, there's so many of these things and many of them popped up out of sort of the, the progressive army, uh, right. the resistance as they call it. <laughs> um, I love and, and a big supporter in a lot of ways of fivecalls.org. Uh, you can use website, you can download the app on your phone. I mean, it's, there's so many others, town hall project called my I mean, five so call, easy, right? Yeah. yeah fivecalls.org so is like, 
hey, idiot, listen. <laughs> Tell them, they're like, literally, mash your fat thumb against yeah. this button. And then if somebody picks up, literally just read this. Nobody cares how, how good you do a job reading it. Right. They're literally just counting the call. And then you hit, did I talk to someone? Did I leave a voicemail? Did they not pick up it? All those things matter and they compile the data and it's all helpful. It couldn't make it easier, but every one of those literally counts because the congressperson's office is counting those things. Anyways, uh, Brian, so, sorry, right. I could go on forever. Go ahead. No, no. So that's what we want to talk about, right? Like what happens when you make those calls and you get the congressperson or like I said, in my experiences, you know, maybe a staffer or even a voicemail, but you know, do, do they, do they listen to you and they just go, oh shit fucking Mary's got a great point here and scramble off to the house floor and start hammering out a bill. Yeah. And honestly, seriously, what's a bill? I mean, we're, we're, we have the song. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to put a link to that. Cause I have a feeling, Oh God, I have feeling 75% of our fucking listeners have no idea what that video is. Oh, that's <laughs> that. right. Sure. Why, why don't we start with a constituent reaching out to an office and go from there? How does yeah. that sound? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Seems all right. All right. Brian. Right. Um, yeah. So, so finish up, Brian. Sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, generally, uh, I, when you make these calls, they they get counted and 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 the voicemails. And if it's something that they're about to vote on, the the congressperson you're calling, or, or you know, theoretically, um, they they take everything into account. All those calls, all those emails, and, right? And it makes a difference, like for real. And we've seen that hold sure. true in spades the past the past year. Healthcare and tax reform, sure. Um, so just seriously, just call, right? Please just call. All right. But what about people, uh, not just like uh, you crazy person in your underwear calling like, well, crazy. who else is putting pressure on these people? <laughs> yeah. For, for good and evil. And, um, so like one of the many good groups is the citizens climate lobby. Right. And Ta-da. I, I uh, to be clear, I'm well, uh, we're clearly angled towards uh, actionable, progressive folks and listeners. Sure. We have done our fair share and I, we will always do more to reach out to folks who are trying to affect change. We've talked to a lot of conservative climate activists. Yep. Uh, there are a variety of per- perspectives. This feels like a medical claim at the end of one of those medicine ads on TV where you're just like, did they say death? Sure did. Uh, there's a variety of perspectives in American politics. You know, it's not just red or blue. This isn't the Obama speech, but it is the Democrat or Republican, good or bad. I hate the two-party system as much as you do. It's all very fucking complicated but in this guy you know by good guys i'm assuming brian what you mean is like people of all races colors gender sexual orientations who don't want our planet the only habitable one we're aware of to look like fucking venus in 20 years yes those are the good guys okay got it okay (laughs) so so how how does the climate lobby talk to these people do do congress people actually listen to them do they do they have to leave moist sales too or is it you know do do you guys get in deeper do they do they get help with the bills like you you get to help with bills and is that good or bad right so that's what we're going to dig into today which is how does your phone call become law or not so uh, andreas we like to dial it back a lot of times Uh, i hate to say dumb it down it's mostly for brian and i but we do represent our listeners how does a group like yours differ from someone like the nrdc or 350.org when you say citizens climate lobby what are we talking about specifically Sure. The fantastic and amazing thing that I've been able to see this year that Citizen, Citizens Climate Lobby does that I've never seen any other organization do is that they get folks into action, into congressional offices. They get them writing op-eds, calling, attending town halls, working with each other in the community like no other group I've ever seen. So you have a couple, you have a lot of different groups that say, yes, we have volunteers and they're out there. 
But this, this, what's going on with Citizens Climate Lobby is an actual movement. I think they just reached 100,000 folks on the ground. They have chapters all over the country. They have members in every single district, which is fantastic. And what's great about it is these volunteers don't want to sit back and sign a petition anymore. They, they're, they're pissed off about sure. what's going on, and they want to do something. They, they don't want to sit down and take it anymore. Right. So they are writing to their newspaper. They are going to the Hill, going to their district offices. Like you guys mentioned, they're calling in and talking about the issue. And that's really starting to make some headway. Um, one of the things that Citizens Climate Lobby does is they work with the Climate Solution Caucus in the House. It's that caucus that's made up of, it's a bipartisan caucus made up of about 78 members now. Uh, so it's one Republican or Democrat in, you know, at a time. So if you are a Republican, you want in, you have to bring a Democrat with you. And if you're a Democrat and you want in the caucus, you have to bring a Republican right. with you. Oh, that's right. And they have 78 now. This, this caucus hasn't been around for that long. So the volunteers have been going to their members. They have been making meetings, bringing in business folks, bringing in you know, local religious leaders to talk to their member about not only joining the caucus, but being very proactive on climate change. And, you know, what's wonderful is sometimes they hit walls with some of these members and they don't stop. Mm -hmm. They just try to go around it. They'll find ways. And, you know, I'm on calls all the time with these volunteers that are like, you know, we went into such and such member's office and they were like, no, like, what do we do? But what do you do when, you know, you hit a wall with an office? Mm -hmm. You got to be creative. So you got to find out what committees they're on, what their interests are, what community leaders they're listening to. And then you go, you have to go after them that way. All right. So as an example, if let's say one member is really into small business, bring in tons of folks from the small business community from your district and have, and have them talk to them. Right. That'll, that'll perk them up. So it's finding new ways and innovative ways to talk to members who might not always uh, have been out on the issue of, of climate change. So you're saying you've seen like a big grassroots movement this year, right? Like all these people Ab involved. Right. How, how, does, yeah. how does that bubble up and reach you as the tip of the sword? Yeah. How are, so how do you then interact? How do you interact with those everyday citizens that are, like you said, uh, going to do all those things? And then, you know, where you are more specifically involved in getting in and, and helping to uh, provide language and 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 develop uh, bills and talking points and things like that. Sure. So where the volunteers are are meeting and trying to form relationships for the most part in the district because they're not flying out to D.C. and, and on the hill all the time. Right. I'm here in D.C. and I'm doing more of the day to day lobbying. So you know, in a give, any given week, I can be on the hill three or four times that week. I'm meeting with old offices and keeping those relationships. Uh, up to date, and I'm meeting with newer offices in both Democratic and Republican offices on the House and on the Senate, and just making sure that those relationships are, are in a good place. So when the volunteers either go to the district or they come to DC, the relationships have already been made where they're going, the volunteers are going to feel really comfortable coming into a meeting because the folks across from them have an idea of what Citizens Climate Lobby is, what they do, and pretty much that we're not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Most importantly, that we're not crazy. 
So okay, cool. So you said you said you're you know you're the guy in DC who's who's uh, on the ground there. Well, let's set that up. Like, what does that mean? Take us through a a typical day, a typical week in your shoes. Sure, I think it depends a lot on what's going on. So you know, sure. Citizens Climate Lobby has been working really hard over the last couple of years to try to introduce a carbon fee and dividend bill. So if things are moving awesome. on that front um, with a couple of members, my week might be going and talking with you know staff or committee folks and talking through language, talking through kind of the overall strategy of bill introduction. So that could be one day. Another day could be, you know, we have our big lobby day coming up in two weeks. And so a lot of that can be prepping staff or prepping offices for, hey, we're about to have 11 or 1200 volunteers coming to DC to talk about some of our our initiatives. Um, Do you have any questions beforehand? Is there anything we can answer? You know, trying to get everyone ready for for those meetings to take place. And then other meetings, again, going back to the Climate Solution Caucus, are just trying to get new members to join that caucus. So we're at 78, and we always want to push and see how many more members we can get. So it's going to offices and talking with the staff or talking with the member and trying to figure out if they're not on the caucus already, how can we get you on the caucus? And if they want to be on the caucus, but they can't find either a Republican to jump on with them, or if they're a Republican, they're looking for a Democrat to jump on. It's trying to figure, trying to place them with someone that makes sense to, to jump on with. Sure. So, so, you know, it can either be focused on legislation, it can be focused on the caucus, or it can just be kind of just, you know, network lobbying, just going in and introducing yourself and the organization and just starting to, you know, make good relationships with those offices. Um, hoping that both the staffer or the member uh, will be there a little bit longer. Okay, that's that's super helpful. So, and again, we, we try to do this so everybody has a really full, firm grasp on these things. Sort of on three things you mentioned. First one, tell us a little bit more about the caucus. So how does a caucus like this work? Is it just the House? Is it the Senate too? Uh, so how does yeah. it work or why isn't it Save the World yet? Go. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's working towards saving the world. We're all right. again trying. So the caucus is not in the Senate; it's in the House. Yeah. Um, it was established by a Republican and a Democrat, Representative Deutsch from Florida, and Representative Curbelo, also from Florida. But since then, you know they've started adding new members all across the country. So you have folks from California and Pennsylvania and Minnesota and New Jersey. So. One thing you want out of a strong caucus is not just to have it all from members from Florida, right? Unless that's specifically what they're looking for. <laughs> right. But in a caucus like this, you want to be you want to make it as geographically diverse as, as possible. Um, and so they embarked on trying to get a caucus that would talk about climate solutions and in various different ways. So you know, one is to get members educated. One is to get members who might not have been out on this issue out. And talking about this issue mm-hmm. and standing and standing next to them, mm-hmm. they also do both staff briefings where they bring in specialists to talk about anything from sea level rise to ocean acidification to you know all sorts of different issues. And they also do just member uh, briefings where it's you know those some of those same experts or new experts briefing just the members and having kind of close conversations. So I think. One of the most recent briefings uh, was focused on the business community. Mm-hmm. So how are businesses being impacted uh, by climate change? And so a bunch of business leaders came in 
and they, you know, did a briefing and talked with, with, with these members of Congress and, and let them know what was on their mind. Gotcha. Okay. And again, just so everybody understands, because I, I think so much of, not so much, I mean, Chris, you can point this in a thousand different directions, but, you know, a lot of people are just, uh, people who, who care in this way are, are going, you know, all these things that o- Obama and his administration did to to protect and secure the environment are, are being torn back down. You know, talk to me. So how often does this caucus meet as a whole? How often does it meet in groups right now? How often are these briefings? You know, is it sort of a, I'm just trying to paint a picture for folks. Like, is it almost being run like the UK has their shadow government where they're waiting for the next administration? So they're just educating themselves for now, you know, Talk to me a little bit more about how the mechanics of a group like this and this specific group uh, is working on a sort of week-to-week, month-to-month basis. Sure, but just quickly to touch uh, on what you said about the rollback to the Obama administration and everything they did. It's always been, it's been very fascinating to me to see how long it took to put those in place and how quickly they're being rolled back. Yeah, it's... it's It's, it, It can take eight years to put in some really fantastic measures in place to try to help and save our environment. And it only takes uh, less than a year to, yeah. to push those, those things back. Well, so that's kind and, of... and, you know, and, and you can probably educate everyone on this a little bit as well, but this is, you know, a, a lot of these things were uh, Obama's legal team discovering, you know, where and how they could apply the clean water and clean power plans uh, and, and trying to find the extent of those laws. And on the other hand, some of these things were executive actions and you know, the pros and cons are of an executive actions is that they can be done just as quickly and as efficiently as they were created. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. Because they're not law. And that's, we can celebrate those, but know that when somebody right. takes office, which inevitably things change hands, just hopefully not in the apocalypse type situation that this is, <laughs> in, uh, you know, they can be undone very quickly uh, like right. this, which is why we need to yeah. caucus like this involved so anyways yeah if yeah. you could just paint the picture for us again so that people who are sitting here calling and aren't for us aren't frustrated going like i don't know who this caucus is do they just sign up and never get the newsletter or how often do they meet yada yada they're meeting i would say if not every month every other month now sometimes things are happening on the house floor or there's certain events that are coming up that make meeting that frequently a little tougher, sure. but they are trying to be as proactive as possible when it comes to, to meeting either on the staff level or on the member level. And then there's a bunch of different, I, I won't list them, but there's a bunch of groups out there that are following not only the caucus, but also trying to help the caucus grow. And, and those groups on the outside are meeting weekly to try to discuss on how to further get more members or what are some things that the caucus can do um, and pinpoint to some actual actions. Right. So whether, you know, it's meeting formally in the House or it's folks meeting on the outside trying to figure out ways that the caucus can be more productive. I mean, things are con- people are constantly meeting. So um, they're trying to be as proactive as, as, as possible. Now, if you think about it in the House, I don't know how many caucuses there are, but let's just say, you know, there's a coffee caucus, right? Uh, there's a caucus for everything. There's a coffee there's caucus? A, Brian's in. Yes. Brian is an unofficial member of I'm in. Well, I'll I'll try to send you some details. So there's some, there's a tennis caucus and a coffee caucus, a caucus on whatever you can think of. You know, some of these caucuses are are meant to be very proactive. And, you know, the whole point is to get members together to educate and discuss and try when, when votes come to actually have a little bit more knowledge and be able to 
hopefully vote together on specific issues. Um, and some caucuses are just designed just to have your name signed on to them. And, you know, I'm part of the whatever caucus and, right. and they're not meant to meet or be that proactive. But this caucus, the Climate Solution Caucus, was designed and the point of it is to actually not just to educate, but to be proactive and to get members who are interested and to get members who range from everywhere from very educated on environmental issues to not very educated. And the point of bringing in folks who are interested but maybe aren't as educated is to give them an opportunity to listen to what experts are saying, to talk to their colleagues, and to get up to speed on what's going on. I think that whatever degree, level of degree these the folks that are joining are at, I think it's a great stride that they're actually being proactive and at least saying, hey, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to jump on a caucus and try to get some education on this issue. Has, has there, in your, I guess, experience so far, can you tell like what's been the most effective way to, to get representatives involved in the caucus? Or, or can, can citizens do anything to get it's their own reps in? I, in? From what I've seen, it's 100% constituents. They have an enormous and huge voice that has been the sole reason to get members on this caucus. So in two weeks, when 1,100, 1,200 Citizens Climate Lobby volunteers come, one of their first asks of offices that are not on the caucus is, will you join the caucus and how do we get you there if you are not? If they are on the caucus, their first words will probably be, thank you. What do you? What have you seen is the most effective way for citizens, besides yeah. besides mass yelling at them? Sure. Um, <laughs> what are the most constructive and effective ways to to get these people over the hump so that they do uh, join the caucus and get involved and at the very least get educated? I'll I'll give you four. I would Great. say lobby meetings. Okay. Pu- published media. So write you know letters to the editor. Using, you know, having folks go on you know, r- their local radio if they can or TV or any way they can, any, any way, any kind of media form is, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Letters, letters to Congress, which is what we started, started off talking about, those are extremely right. effective. Mm-hmm. As you guys, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, there's a staff meeting once a week in congressional offices, and they are compiled and counted by issue every week. Right. So... It's, I always say it's, it's better to be, to have less calls in a given week, but to be more steady. Gotcha. So by that, I mean, if 200 people call on a Thursday and then never call back again, that's That's not that helpful. Sure. If you divide those calls up between those 200 people and you span it out, you're going to be much, much more effective because the office is going to say, oh, this wasn't just a, a quick, you know, blip. You know, this is actually something that's going on and is constant and keeps coming up. So maybe we should look into it. Right. right. We've had we've had forty calls six out of seven days for the for the past month and a half. Yeah, you that know, seems much more our, our impactful. People, our people are angry. <laughs> um, yes, that that to me is and and being a former staffer and working sure. on on this issue uh, with constituents on letter writing and receiving letters, having a, a slower pace but longer pace. Uh, Call-in system is much more effective than just you know dashing and calling an office and never hearing hearing back from the constituents again. Okay, that's super helpful. Huh. So, and so let again, me and then oh, go ahead. No, no, please go, please. Uh, oh, and the last part I was going to say is the is outreach events. 
And by outreach, I mean, you know, it's when the constituents get together and they have an event, whether it's in someone's house, in a parish, you know, it's, it's holding events where more folks can come, can talk about the issue, and then can go together and formulate plans to either go to a ta- town hall or do a letter writing campaign or a call campaign. It's being organized. It's getting together and getting organized. Awesome. Hey guys, it's Quinn. If you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you might be, and you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important. Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, and now it can be your go-to for podcasts, too. Um, oh, oh. Okay, so we just had a couple of things we want to just back up on again so people understand. Yeah, you mentioned the bill. Yeah, what's the bill you've been working on for the past few years? So Citizens Climate Lobby, which turned 10 last year, has been working on a carbon fee and dividend bill. Talk us through that. Sure, I will talk you through it as much as I can. Obviously, the bill is not out yet, so... There's certain parts of it that I can't really go into. No, no, no. Um, of, sure. But basically, <clears throat> we've, the, yeah, we've just, you know, we've had a number of folks on from conservatives to 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 very left leaning folks that have, you know, again, uh, talking about the differences and and the pros and cons for regulations versus a straight carbon tax, and right. uh, you know what happened in Washington State, and uh, you know where does the money go when you tax it? So we're just really trying to help folks understand all the complexities of why something like this hasn't passed and, and what it, the kind of difference it can make. So yeah, we would so, love to hear your guys' side of it. Yeah, absolutely. So with Citizens Climate Lobby, uh, the carbon fee and dividend bill, which there at some point will be introduced and, and will be out there, it's our way to try to help reduce emissions, carbon emissions in the, in the environment. Our goal is to not grow the government. It's to give back what the fee comes back to give it back into give it back to society so it can go back out and be uh spent we believe that folks all over the country should be receiving part of this fee the stimulus it goes through the treasury department um Uh and that's something that they've been pushing for i think that there have been i think this year three carbon bills that have come up two in the senate and one in the house Uh maybe there's been two in the house but either way What's been going on and why, you know, step one of why this hasn't passed is because there hasn't, there hasn't been a bill, a carbon bill, at least in this Congress, that's bipartisan. Right. Everyone's been working on having it introduced with or without a Republican. And when you do that, it makes passage much harder, especially when you have a Republican administration. But, but even in, again, going back to Washington State, which had, uh, you know, the, the Democrats control every part of the government. And, uh, you know, their carbon tax bill still still failed. And it, um, it, again, the complexities of a lot of it seems to come down to 
where does the money go and how is it distributed once it's once it's brought in as revenue? Um, yeah, and that seems and, and, to be a real sticking point, no matter if there's Republicans Republicans involved or not. And that's a hundred percent true. I mean, everyone has different ideas on whether it should be whether it should go back to infrastructure, if it should go to special block program programs throughout the throughout the community. You know, our version gives it back in a in a kind of stimulus way back to individuals. So there's all sorts of different types of, of ways to give this feedback. I think that one thing that folks are agreeing more about from last year or the previous years is that there is definitely a need to have a carbon fee in place. Now, where where that actually goes, I think that, as you mentioned, that's definitely kind of up for debate. Is that what's going to make this happen eventually, is when there's some sort of agreement on that? I don't know if there will ever <laughs> be an actual full agreement on where that goes, right. but I think that step one is introduction. Step And, and I mean a bipartisan introduction. Yeah. I think that that's at least on the federal level which is what I've been working on. I think that you need a bipartisan introduction. And then as it goes through committee, I think that a lot of those more detailed parts of the bill will hopefully get hashed out during during that. So do you feel like this thing is gets, gets uh, hashed out, not behind closed doors, but without being uh, brought to the floor, and then we're waiting on November 6th for anything to actually happen with it? Unfortunately, I think it's going to take much longer than that. I, I think that any carbon bill that comes out, I think we're at least a few years away from seeing any kind of full passage on that. I think that, I think that at this point, you need to start at least with getting some members on both parties interested in working together. I think step two is trying to pass it through committee, then put it on the floor, and then you're also looking at the Senate which is going to be a much harder place um, to push this through. You know, they've had their own battles with cap and trade and and things in the past that um, obviously haven't panned out the way they thought it would. So I think that there's going to be a lot of skeptical folks out there. And it's going to take a lot of work, I think, on the Senate to find Republicans. And I don't mean one. I mean more than one who are out there and are willing to bring another, a big group with them to sure. work on this issue. And I think that that's when you ask, what is it that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis? That's part of it. I'm, I'm going to meet with the Senate, both Democrats and Republicans and having these conversations of, Hey, this is our proposal. At some point we're going to have a bill ready to go, but we need more than one Republican and one Democrat to get this moving. We need a group. And it's trying to convince, I think, folks who are a little hesitant that it's okay to jump on something like this and be more out there um, and that it needs to happen. Because if your boss isn't willing to step up and join other Republicans or Democrats, um, we're just going to be at a standstill and things need to move on this issue. Do, Do you feel like one of the states, even if it's a lefty state like Washington, successfully passing and implementing these would help in that it would at least be a testing ground for this? I I absolutely do. Uh, When it comes to the state level stuff, I think that bills, I think that one of the greatest things about the state, the state is that it tends to be able to move faster. And if you can, and if you can get some good wins in one, two, three states and use them to throw out more, some more messaging to the federal government, to the, 
to the members to say, hey, look what we did in these states. It's working. Things are going well. People aren't going nuts and I'm burning cars down. Like, it's okay. I think if we can use the positive messages from the state to amplify it and be vocal to the federal, to the federal, at the federal level, I think that's fantastic. Sure, sure. And I think you've seen other issues really that have worked on, on doing that as well. And it's worked out for them. So I think that, yeah, I think that if we can get some wins in the state while the state moves quicker and the federal and the, and the federal stuff moves slower, I think we, it's, it's great to do both at the same time. So you keep pushing on the federal level while you're adding up wins on the state. Yeah. It's like yeah. weed. A lot, of, a lot of great states are doing a lot of stuff with the money they've done since uh, making weed legal you know, on a state level. Seems like mm. it's a good sign. Sure. And I, I have a feeling um, the new sports gambling stuff is going to be very similar yeah, yeah. to that. I mean, not a lot of people like taxes. Everybody likes tax revenue. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. You know, uh, civil rights, not as much tax revenue, but the same thing. You know, you build up momentum. But it is just, it's frustrating. And boy, I'd, I'd love to get uh, Governor Inslee on here to talk about w- what has happened in, in Washington and the plan going forward to see it not. Oh come through in a state like that uh, right. to see people back off in the last minute um, and go like, well, well, you hate to say like, if not there, then where is it going to happen? But at the same time, like, oh man, we've got to get this through in states like that. It's, it's crazy. You know, but Democrats control so few. Uh, those should be your, those should be those, those easy state wins that you right. look at and you say, and you're, when you're doing some targeting of, Hey, where should we go first to get some good wins that can, we can, we can later, Shout out to the federal level. Yeah, Washington should definitely be on that list. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've had some offline conversations with some some of these conservative climate activists and and also just principal conservatives, which there are a few left, but the ones that are are just delightful. I'd love to have conversations with these people. And, you know, to be fair, one of their questions is, it's strange that we have made a point of trying to have these wins happen in these heavily democratic states where we're actually not producing a ton of emissions as opposed to where a lot of the emissions are happening are in the red states. But at the same time, you would think Mm -hmm. those would be the, we have to take the easy wins where we can get them. Even if it's like a small amount of revenue coming, you can do the math and, and, and extricate that out and, and see, see, uh, you know, how that would, theoretically apply to the red states right. while things like wind are growing so much in the red states in the middle of the country, you know, and, and none of these businesses want to pay these taxes. So at some point there needs to be a tipping point where it becomes an advantage and a business incentive to go clean. And, and I think a lot of companies are embracing that, but that's kind of the interesting argument I've had back and forth a few times is, yeah, you're right. It's, it is interesting that so many of these democratic leaning states are the ones that aren't pumping out a ton of emissions, but at right. the same time, we don't control that many states, at least right now. And it's going to be a little while, at least until after 2020 redistricting. I mean, fucking hopefully that that can change. And I think, and I, yeah, and I think it's going back to the start of it all, which is, you know, who's got the biggest voice and who can control those kind of things. It's, it's your listeners, right? It's constituents. It's folks out there who need to organize and, you know, things aren't going the way that they want them to make a change. Right. 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 To, to play devil's advocate here. How do you, as a lobbyist um, in a post-Citizens United world, feel about money in politics? With, with just how much of an impact that's had in the yeah. past few years? How business? How much businesses have put money into like elections? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Basically, yeah. It's it's yeah it's yeah it's it's not great to see. 
it really changes the whole dynamic and conversation, right? Because if, you know, you're just whoever, it, it turns into who can put the most ads out, who can, who has the most, who has more money to, to spend near election day and, and who's going to get the most visibility because of it. Um, and sometimes the better candidate doesn't, doesn't go forward because of that. So what do you feel is the most objective but efficient way to, to dial that back if, if you were Justice Kennedy on the Supreme Court <laughs> had to swing vote on basically everything? Yeah. You know, how, how would you best frame that again as a lobbyist, but at the same time as someone who wants to see the most constructive Congress possible? There needs to be some kind of limit. Right. There, there just needs to be an even playing field. When you come in with candidates who are just putting in X amount of their own money or have friends who have over, you know, a huge bank that no, like someone else who's just, you know, who's a great candidate, but they just, they don't have those connections or fundraising skills. I mean, it's just, it's not even a competition then. And, and again, a lot of times the best candidate doesn't win and you're, you know, you're kind of left to do that all over again when the same candidate can do that again and, and no one can compete or match, you know, how much money he's putting into the campaign. So there definitely needs to be something that's putting everyone at a, a fair playing field. Sure. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> uh, um, all right, let's, let's pivot a bit here. Uh, talk, talk to us about your work with, uh, with Green Latinos. And, you know, how does it overlap with TCL if it does at all? It doesn't overlap, but uh, yeah. So the person who runs and, and who created the founder of Green Latinos, his name is Mark Magana. Uh, he is fantastic. He has been able to bring over, I think, 300 organizations from all around the country together. Um, he does one annual summit, but he does, I think, at least weekly to biweekly phone calls. And he's put subcommittees together on all sorts of different uh, issues, environmental issues, whether it's, you know, yeah, all sorts of different things. And he's he's bringing folks from everywhere from small shops to big shops to folks like us, Citizens Climate Lobby, and we're all joining together, giving each other information through the Green Latinos. There's uh, you know, a listserv that we're all trying to communicate on and trying to say, hey, this is going on, who can help? Or, hey, this is going on, let's get mobilized. And so that's the biggest strength. Um, what he's created is something that I had never seen before. And I think it's doing just a tremendous amount of good on helping folks get organized and help, you know, come together and have a strong voice uh, together. And it's it's the time to do it, because in 25 years, the population of this country, the demographics are going to look very different. And that is not the time to start to get mobilized. It's it's now to build that foundation. But, you know, again, uh, obviously, Latinos quote unquote, Latinos aren't a homogenous group like any other lazy random grouping. Like when people are like, blacks vote Democratic. It's like, right. that's not how it works. You know, right. at the, you said it's 300 plus combined groups. So at the same time, what are the group's priorities uh, as this mobilization is building? Sort of what are their tentpole uh, stakes that they're working on and, and going to make a point of over the next, uh, you know, year, five years, yeah. 10 years? So, as, you know, that, that changes from year to year what their specific you know issues are and what they're going to focus on but i can tell you right now given the current system it's going to be holding people accountable it's going to be looking at what nominees are coming in to the different to the different parts of the administration and holding you know their their feet to the fire and saying do you believe in climate change and if you don't you know we're going to hear it 
And if you say yes, then you your actions better follow that. Like you better be doing what you say you're going to be doing. And right. if you're not walk going to walk. be doing it, we're going to be holding you accountable. So I think it's a lot of it, especially in this administration, is not letting the president and the administration get away with anything and making sure that at every possible move, there's someone watching and playing as much defense and trying to scream as loud as possible. Hey, this isn't right. This isn't what is what we need to do to be saving our environment. So with this administration, I, I think it's just, again, holding, holding folks accountable. Sure. And, and again, you know, there's a certain amount of power there now, but in shit, even 10 years, right. uh, you know, the voting power of that group, which again is not homogenous, is right. not all allied one way, is going to be, you know, exponentially increased. And any candidate, uh, especially in the areas where those, where those demographics are growing, if they're not aware of that now, you can forget being in office in eight years. Right. Um, Cause that, I mean, can you, yeah. Can you imagine how much workforce the Hispanic community is? I think it's 77% of the California agricultural workforce is Hispanic. I mean, yeah, damn, it's incredible. Can you, ima- can you imagine if we continue to do the negative things we are doing to the environment, which impact agriculture, what that's going what, what that's going to look like. It's not going to be great. No, and there's going to no. be a lot of even angrier folks uh, right. that, that can't support their families, uh, no matter what color or gender or I, race. Yeah, what, one thing since the, president, the last presidential election is, I've always said, is unintended consequences, right? So one unintended consequence um, of, of Trump being voted in is you see this huge wave of volunteers uh, who may have never joined organizations like Citizens yep. Climate Lobby, but want to be active, yeah, all saying, that. I need to do something. Yep. I didn't do something before, you're but now about, I need... You're talking about white people, basically. <laughs> Lazy yes. white people. Yeah. There you go. So, you know, with these unintended consequences, I think you'll find both that will change. In fact, that folks are getting off the couch finally, but I think that you'll start seeing leaders from all different diverse groups standing up and, and saying, hey, this is impacting us this way and that way, and we're not going to take it, and there needs to be a change. So I think you're, you're going to start seeing a lot of African-American leaders stand up and Hispanic leaders stand up, and I think you're going to see more and more of that um, as time goes on. Yeah, and, and that's the benefit. And we Again, we've already, you know, like you said, s- seen so much of that in the past 15 months you know, from little platforms like Five Calls to Town Hall Project to Run for Something or 314 Action, you know, all these groups. On the other hand, people are already, it's it's May 2018, complaining that the Democrats don't have a leader under 75 uh, <laughs> to, be their, to be their voice for 2020. And at the one time, it's like, yes, the Democrats are atrocious at mes- messaging, always have been, 100%. On the other hand, it's May 2018, give it a minute, all these groups are still going. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of young folks that have been elected or running for office. I think I saw a stat today that said that uh, 14 primaries, that uh, Democratic primaries that have run so far that have involved a man and a woman. Women have won 11 of 14 of them. Whoa. Um, wow. Which wow. is not, you know, at some point a statistic becomes a statistic and you go like, oh, that's a wave. And, right. you know, that's going to come back to kick somebody in the ass in a great way. And again, uh, again, women are not, uh, uh, right, uh, right. don't all vote one way. 
but mm-hmm. they're fired up just like we've got more uh you know medical and scientific people involved yes. and, and more latino people involved and that stuff should hopefully really start to to matter and and start to build up and and we don't need just one leader i think that was part of the problem with the obama administration is we all looked at this amazing figure who who did so much good in the world who has fully admitted to taking his foot off the pedal as far as uh, down ballot races went. And, and we're, we've seen the effects of that the past five, six years. And now we have to build back up against, you know, incredible gerrymandering. So hopefully these things do start to have a real effect. Obviously it all starts November 6th, because if that doesn't go well, then I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, think up the, shop. <laughs> I think the creation of, of, organizations and networks like the green latinos is a really positive step forward and hopefully you know that'll spark even other you know diverse groups to to spark their own kind of green latinos and that's only going to be good for everyone yeah for sure okay so from your perspective uh what's the most impactful thing that citizens can do on a daily basis not on election day on on a daily basis to make a difference for the the climate causes that they believe in. Yeah, I mean, we've already dug into this a little bit. Like you said, you you named some important things they they can be doing, but yeah. you know, uh, there's news every day they're hitting people or they're not seeing, and that's part of what we try to do. But nobody wants the American South to turn into a toaster oven. It's already <laughs> starting to feel that way, right? Right. Or the, or yeah. the Southwest yeah. not completely running out of water, right? Brian, that's us. Oh, right, right. that's us. We're we're here, right? <laughs> we have no. No water. one wants like New York to follow Miami directly, uh, inevitably into the fucking overflowing bathtub that ocean. is the Atlantic Ocean, right? Um, so again, nice, yeah. it can't just come down to November six, as important as that is, and all the elections after, uh, because we all know uh, Democrats love to to tune out um, right. after they accomplish something. Um, but what can we be doing? What can these folks be doing today um, and every day? Because like you said, it sounds like sustained effort is really the key. Right. Not just one sustained, big march. That's absolutely right. I think if there's one thing to take away from, from today, it's, uh, that sustained effort is key. Uh, so I think that to answer your all's question, I think staying connected to, that means following the news and following important shows, following podcasts like yours, um, you know, keeping connected with the community that they're in. So it's making sure that, you know, everyone's up to date and aware and educated. And if, if a member leaves that they all know what's going on, that they're aware that their elected official is doing this or not, or not doing that. Um, I think it's staying connected, connected to stay educated to promote change. Yeah. That seems, uh, that seems like something that's missing. Um, and, when, and is there any difference between sort of the local slash state slash uh, federal levels? Any any different uh, strategies there folks should be working on? Sure. I think, you know, when it comes to the more local stuff, I think it's easier to show up. It's easier to show up to city council meetings. It's easier to go knock on, you know, your in-district member's door. Um, making a trip out to D.C. To, to do the federal stuff in person is a lot harder, but there's so many different ways that you can let them know that you're still engaged. You can find out who the staffers, build a relationship, um, you know, let them know that you can be a resource and a tool if on, on your specific issue. So 
if the staffer who has like sometimes five or six different issues might not see that there's a new report on this and that. Well, right. if you've built a good relationship with that office, you can say, hey, Steve, like I just saw this recent report, like thought I'd send it your way. And that could actually be really helpful. Sure. And the, the more you show that you're being, you know, you're not that person who's just calling to scream every day, but you're, you can actually be used as a, a tool and you're there to help and you can be informative and, you know, that you want to have rational conversations. I think that you'll, you can, you're going to have better relationships with the staffer and they could actually come at some point to start seeing you as being very helpful in which they'll give you more information and they'll be more open and then they'll want to meet with you more and talk with you more. So I think that is think a really that, interesting point. And we've talked about that quite a bit about, Hey, look, just just go to your weekly city council meeting, yeah. and if you're if you're nervous, uh, you know, bring bring a friend, whatever. Just start with going. You don't even have to stand up and talk. I think that's a really interesting point, which is these are people who live in your community. You know, build relationships with those staffers. I mean, their kid might go to your school, your kid's school, or or, or something, and then instead of being super annoying, there's a way to go about it, letting them know that you're a resource and a tool because. It's annoying when someone tries to do your job for you. Right. It's really helpful when someone helps you do your job because they can't do everything. And, and that would be a really interesting key, I think, a proving ground going, going forward for folks is building those relationships. I, I've seen it work in such great ways. So, you know, things you want to do is, again, you want to build that trust and build that relationship so that when you do go to meet with them or go to, you know, tell them about something you're working on, you know, it's going to be a lot easier to do that. You know, don't be the person who's following them around the supermarket because that's not good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's super creepy. Brian does that all the time it's to people. No, it's just, no. it's not okay. I mean, we've talked about it. We don't have to do it again on the, on air, Brian, but just stop. Baby steps. Just stop. Yeah. Baby <laughs> and right. then again, and then again, talking about, yeah, you, you get nervous going to your first city council meeting or your first town hall, bring a friend. And that goes all the way back to, you know, being connected to your community. If you're connected to your community, you know about what events are going on and it's much easier to reach out to someone and say, hey, is anyone interested or is anyone planning on going to this event? Could I go with you or do you want to come with me? And so I think that the community aspect is huge and can be a way to help pass if anyone has any, any kind of the hurdle of, of fears of talking or mm-hmm. you know, asking questions to the representative. And like you said, you don't always have to, especially the first couple of times, you don't have to say anything. So you can just sit back and kind of see how the whole process goes. And when you feel comfortable, yeah, ask a question. You're, just Couldn't by going, more. you're already participating more than most folks. Right. You know? Absol- absolutely. And if you're not participating, you're not doing much. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, couldn't agree more. Um, all right. So we're getting close to time here. Uh, Andreas, thank you so very much for your time today. Yep. It's been fantastic chatting with you. Um, and I, you're you're putting together a little list of uh, hustlers for us to talk to, I hear. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. I am. I think I'm on five or six right now. Oh, and actually, it's funny that awesome. it's not funny, but I'm glad you brought up the Green Latinos because connecting you with Mark Magani is definitely on the list. We, we would absolutely love that. Um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. We were um, just uh, texting back and forth this morning. So, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I would love to have, for you guys to have him on. He's, yes, he's great. Please, Thank you please. for doing that. Um, all right. So I, I feel like we've actually been pretty productive about this today. Uh, but let's summarize what yeah. our listeners and um, people who give a shit in general uh, can do to take action. Because they're not all progressives, but they want action. Uh, they, they give a shit. So number one is, is getting your reps on the caucus. And that means sustained effort. Uh, letter writing campaigns, lobby meetings, published media, letters to Congress, again, being steady, 
involving yourself in, in outreach events so that, um, you know, when they do count these things up and they do count these things up again, we've seen it happen over and over this year. Somebody can, a staffer will say, listen, we've had 45 calls a week for four weeks on this. That is something we need to talk about. So sustained effort is, is everything. And, and that would seem to apply in the local level as well, but especially in the local level show up. Um, and we've talked about this before, go to your first city council meeting, go to your second city council meeting, and maybe at the second or third one, uh, you got a friend there, stand up and say something that you've practiced in front of the mirror. <laughs> um, uh, ask a question. Questions are always better than, than statements. There's a great book out there called A More Beautiful Question. I encourage everybody to check out uh, about action-oriented questions uh, that inspire uh, constructive responses. It's like when your annoying four-year-old just keeps asking why, why, why. Uh, <laughs> it really does make a difference, and it can dial things down to what really matters, and that is really important on the local level. Why do we still have plastic bags? Because that's what our grocery mm. stores have. Why? Uh, because that's what their, uh, you know, their, their corporations uh, told them to have. Why? Because it's cheaper. Why? Yada, yada. <laughs> you know, get to the bottom of, okay, right. but how can we, can we get rid of those in our town? And just start with something there. Ask about your water quality and your air quality and, and, and things like that. And, and you will be already making more change than most folks uh, probably ever. Awesome. Very. Awesome. Awesome. A few more questions, uh, uh, Andres, if you don't mind. Just uh, we like to ask everybody. Uh, a little lightning round. A little lightning round. Uh-oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, it's fun. We, need to, we do need to get a bell of some sort. Oh, yeah, we should get a bell. Or a, like a cowbell, like a cowbell. Cowbell yeah. is a good move because you know what? I think Neil, you know, Neil, uh, <laughs> I think he's got a real bell and we can't just do what he's doing. Yeah, fine. He's great. Uh, Neil. Um, okay, here we go. When was the first time in your life when you realized that you had the power of change or the, the power to do something meaningful? This really isn't a lightning question. Fast, but- Andres. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. I want to say that, you know, it was at a very young age, uh, you know, my dad, my parents were always very willing to and interested in teaching me about the political system and, and everyone's role in it. And so I think that I think it was going to the voting booth with my with my dad uh, at a very young age. I think that I was just in awe of all these people standing in line who were all there to try to make a difference in, in their own way. That's, That's a good awesome. one. Yeah, I, I brought my kids to vote and, and and we'll do so again this year. And it um yeah, it just makes it a part of their life. That's yeah, they'll remember they'll remember it. You know, um I, I think it does matter. Yes. Hey Andres, who is someone in your life that has positive positively impacted your work in the past six months? Easy, my children. I have two girls and looking at them every day and then going to work, you know, it, it kind of brings it all together whether I'm working toward, you know, June 9th, March for, for the oceans, or whether I'm working on trying to work on carbon fee and dividend or trying to get a you know, bipartisan legislation passed or introduced, you know, looking at them, that's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's the I best answer. Brian's get, Brian, you got to get a baby. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to <laughs> get, get a baby. baby. <laughs> uh, uh, great. How, how do you consume the news, Andreas? Uh, how do I consume it? Uh, in all sorts of ways. And sometimes when I come home, that's the last thing I want to be consuming anymore is the news. But um, yeah. podcasts are fantastic like yours and, you know, newspapers and every, everything you can find that, that has a credible source, either online or 
you know, I, I actually find it interesting, and you might find this weird, but I actually find it interesting to listen to watch Fox News. I'm always interested in, in seeing what the other side has to say about specific issues or certain issues. I know what our side's saying. Right. Sometimes I want, I want to go out and just be like, people are like, why are you watching Fox News? I'm like, I don't know. I just want, I want to see what, they, what their messaging is. I want to see what their angle is on certain issues, and I'm not going to learn it by watching what we're doing. No, you 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 have to step yeah, outside uh, your your own wind tunnel, and and even if you f- firmly and vehemently disagree, uh, right. to to at least understand where they're coming from, uh, even if you think it's you know catastrophically wrong. Yeah, um, yeah, and I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. Again, I'm not watching this stuff to walk away being like, oh, well, that changed my view. I'm, I'm more <laughs> watching it of what is their message, like where where are they where are they come from. Yeah. What are they trying to get their viewers, you know, to jump onto? It's it's always interesting to me to see that. Just, sure. just try not to smash your head against the wall too many times while you're doing it. Uh, all right, you if need you one could... of those like strap release balls, right? <laughs> right. Like, while you're watching it, it right. might explode in your hand. Um, <laughs> if you could, all right. Question number last whatever. one. If you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what would that book be? Oh boy, why? That's a really good one. Um, there's so many good books out there. I guess, I don't know if you've asked this to other fellow folks calling in, but... Oh, yeah. We've actually asked it to every guest, yeah. and uh, we have an Amazon list uh, that is on our website, and you can go there and literally click on the books, and it'll send them to Donald Trump. Really? That's fantastic. Yeah, it's called uh, Trump's Book Club. We're pretty <laughs> excited about it. See, this I wish I would have known about. I would have put some more thought into it. Um, uh, maybe, you can always change maybe, your answer later, yeah, but yeah. any anything, right, maybe, people, maybe maybe Bloomberg's last book on the environment, which was pretty good, where he was talking about the need for change and, and the and the things that they're doing here in the United States and all over the world to try to change the outlook and the way we look at, at things. Um, but I'll have to think about that one a little Is bit that more. Clim- Climate of Hope, the name of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. What was the best? I'm curious. What's the what's been the most either unusual or best answer you've heard so far? We've got a couple repeats. A few people have recommended uh, the Little Prince, which is just oh, yeah. a fantastic recommendation. Uh, all the way got to the Constitution. Yeah, the Constitution is a pretty uh, good one. Yeah, we got people's oh, history. Okay, a I don't times. need to get back to you. I figured it out. The Giving Tree. Uh, oh, hey, hey, look! I'm a bucket of tears all over again. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, that book is awesome. just destruction in the Sorry. best way. That's a great one. We haven't gotten yeah. that one yet. We'll include both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Look, when no one's assuming he's going to read these things. Um, <laughs> only a few of them have pictures, but maybe someone oh, there God. will. Uh, and again, you can visit Trump's book club uh, just by going to our website. And yep. importantnonimportant.com slash Trump book club. Uh, click on the book. And it'll literally just send it via two-day shipping to the web. That's so great. That's uh, excellent. Yeah, we do what we can. All right. Uh, last thing, uh, Andreas, how would you like to use this podcast to spook, speak truth to power? Anything right now you want to say before we get out of here? I think that everyone, I just want everyone to know everyone has a, an important voice and an important role to play. Standing up and walking over to your district office or picking up a phone those have really huge impacts and everyone can make a difference. I know that folks always say, oh, you know, everyone can make a difference and people are kind of like, yeah, whatever, and they shrug their shoulders. But trust me, from someone who's worked on the inside, on the Hill, now for nonprofits, everyone does, everyone can make a difference. Every single phone call, every letter, every time you jump on 
a podcast or the radio or anything you can do, you know, you're being effective. I think the least effective thing is doing nothing. Sure. I love that. Rock and roll, man. Um, hey, quickly, can, uh, can our listeners follow you on, uh, on the social medias anywhere? No. <laughs> Perfect. That's, uh, I, I need to get on that. They can go to our website, yeah, our yeah. Citizens Climate Lobby website. Cool. Uh, I believe if they even want to see a picture of me, I think I'm on the on on the cover there. Um, nice, but uh, but yeah, I need to work on on figuring that uh, social media out a little bit more when it comes to having my own page. It's uh, it's so. the dark. It's the yes, dark. Yes, go to Citizens Climate Lobby. It's the dark. It's the dark place. Yeah, uh, but it's where the, where the people are. Yeah, I'll have to learn from you. I'll have to learn from you guys. Oh yeah. God. Uh, yeah, right. ask us any questions. Yeah. Um, uh, Andreas, listen, man, we can't thank you enough for your time today uh, and all your insight. Obviously, you are, uh, you know, a little bit uh, the man behind the curtain uh, that people uh, hear about um, and are, uh, they wake up most days hoping someone is fighting for good. Um, and you are actively doing that. And we do uh, really appreciate that and all the yeah. Thank you. This was terrific. I really appreciate it. I really loved uh, chatting with you guys and. Yeah, it was great. The feeling is mutual, brother. Thank awesome, you so much for we everything. Will, uh, we will talk to you again soon, Andreas. All right. Look, looking forward to meeting you guys in person sometime. Sounds great. Stay dry out there. All right. Have a, have a great day. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Ciao. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at importantnotimportant. Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us. You know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.